0: You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click Donate. To believe in in universal love, it's to work for a distributive uh, societal justice for those who are the objects of that, that universal love. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 266 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of survival, resistance, liberation, reparation, and transformation. Our feature text this week is Luke 1142, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. And that's our title for this week, Justice and the Love of God. Uh, all my children love being involved in our local theater here in town. Lewisburg happens to be the home of the, the West Virginia State Theater, uh, Greenbrier Valley Theater. And a few years ago, my elder daughter, she also, auditioned for the High School Musical that year, and she was she was cast as Gertrude McFuzz in Seussical, and it's a, it's an adorable uh, retelling of Seuss's most popular tales, and as a result, our, our son, who was five or six years old at the time, he took up reading many Dr. Seuss books, and, and Horton Hears a Who is the one that became his favorite. Now, in this story, for those of you who aren't familiar with it. Horton the elephant hears a, a call for help coming from a, a speck of dust, and and, and he's, he ends up enduring much derision from his neighbors as a result of, of uh, uh, hearing something that they can't hear. And, and he chooses to respond. He eventually learns that the, the call for help that he's hearing, it's, it's coming from a group of small creatures named Hoos that that live on this speck of dust and Horton is disbelieved he's ridiculed he's harassed and he's thought to be crazy and eventually he's even tied up and Horton's neighbors they 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 end up taking the speck away from him and almost destroy it but horton convinces uh, uh its inhabitants the inhabitants of this speck of dust to begin making noise in hopes that that they'll they'll be heard by the others and then the noise isn't loud enough until one last who whose name jojo is found not participating and jojo's voice is added at the very end and it gives the whos enough volume to, to be heard by horton's fellow jungle animals Animals and, and it convinces them to join Horton in protecting the the, Hugh, the Who community. And, and, and the catchphrase that Horton repeats throughout the story that, that is really the, the point of the story is a person is a person no matter how small. Now, Theodore Seuss Geisel, he, he, he wrote Horton Hears a Who after visiting Japan after World War II. And you, for, for uh, more on this, you can see Morgan and Morgan. Page one forty four through one forty five, or or Richard Minar's book, uh, Doctor Seuss goes to war, because uh, um, Geisel held uh, he, he had held deeply racist and anti-Japanese prejudices before and during the war, but his visit to Japan, along with some other events that took place in his life, it caused a dramatic reversal in Geisel, and 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 he wrote Horton hears a who as an allegory that the book includes Veiled references to the war and the US bombing of Hiroshima and, and Nagasaki, like when the black-bottomed birdie let go and we dropped, we landed so hard that our clocks have all stopped. And and Geisel also, he dedicated Horton Here's a Who to a Japanese friend, um, Nakamura. And he he commented in interviews afterwards that when when one considers Japan's size as a as a country, the theme becomes Uh, obvious. A person's a person, no matter how small. Now, shortly after uh, the local performances here in Lewisburg uh, of this play ended in our town, a dear friend, a family friend, um, sat down and met with Crystal and and myself, and and, and they shared with us that they were trans and that they would be taking steps in the, the near future to live into their gender identity. And our friend had had uh, uh, seen some of the beginning steps that Crystal and I had taken back then to become affirming allies of the trans community. And she decided to, to trust our family with, with her story and to invite us to, to continue being a part of her life. And as we we shared this news with our children, I knew that my two eldest kids, well, I knew them well enough to know that their responses would be uh, affirming and positive but it was my son who was the youngest who I was I was the most curious about and, and, and as our friend shared with him and again he was 5 maybe 6 but, but as our friend shared with him as much of her story as was appropriate for his age I could see him processing this new information and, and she was the first trans person that, that he would ever know and after a moment she asked what he thought and he reached up and he, he took her hand he looked into her face and he said the new name that she had just told him, that she had just shared with him, and said, a person's a person, no matter how small. That was his response. And this week, I want to talk to you about two values that are here juxtaposed uh, for us in Luke's gospel, and that's justice and love. In the short film series, Journey to Liberation, The Legacy of, of Womanist Theology, which which I watched last year, Dr. Emily M. Towns, she states, when you start with an understanding that God loves everyone, justice isn't very far behind. And this statement, it resonated so deeply with me that, that actually, I remember it bringing me to tears as I listened to that. And before I became an ally to, to trans people, and before all the fallout with our our early followers, I, I spent years speaking and writing and teaching on on the universal love of God for everyone. You can see my book uh, Finding the Father. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on our website. But but the one response that I repeatedly heard during our our transition as a a, a ministry um, uh, becoming an affirming ministry. Uh, was people's inability to understand what made a shift from God's love to God's justice. I spent countless hours uh, trying to help folks understand that love means justice. Uh, th- they aren't separate. Well, one is the, the, the fruit of the other, and you can't genuinely have one uh, without the other. And as Cornel West famously stated, justice is what love looks like in public So what we, what do we at at Renewed Heart Ministries, what do we mean when we use the term justice? Justice, remember, is distributive. Speaking of how the Hebrew scriptures define justice, John Dominic Crossan, and this is in his book, The Greatest Prayer, Rediscovering the Revolutionary Message of the Lord's Prayer. On page two, the very beginning, he writes, the primary meaning of justice is not retributive, but distributive. To be Just means to distribute everything fairly. So if we believe in universal love, then why wouldn't that belief lead us toward compassion and and action and and ensuring a distributive justice uh, for all as the objects of that love? Distributive justice, it's the outgrowth of Jesus's belief in a God that offers universal love. Look at Luke 12, 24. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more value uh, are you than birds? And then look at Luke 12, 27-28. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? In Matthew 5, God causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So Jesus is God, universally loved even the ravens and the lilies. Therefore, Jesus envisions God as also concerning God's self with, with a distributive justice for us as well. For, for Jesus, God's love was at the root of a radical vision for a world in which all, everyone, had enough. A God who indiscriminately discriminately loves is also a God who indiscriminately and justly sends rain and sunshine on the objects of this that that love. And Jesus is standing firmly in his, his his own Jewish tradition when he connects love and and distributive justice. Consider the following passages from from the Hebrew prophets where love and distributive justice that so they're intrinsically connected. This says Isaiah 16, 5, in love, a throne will be established in faithfulness. A man will sit on it. One from the house of David, one who is, who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. Hosea 12, 6 says, but you must return to your God, maintain love and And justice, wait for your God always. And calling for for distributive justice was, it was a way in which the Hebrew prophets, they spoke truth to power using this language. In Isaiah 61, verse 8, we read, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Amos 5.15, hate evil and love good maintain justice in the courts perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph and then Isaiah 117 learn to do right seek justice and then he defines that the very next three words defend the oppressed and as we mentioned last week in, in uh, this preoccupation with with distributive justice that that it's, it's this this preoccupation that defines whether someone in the Hebrew culture actually actually knew uh, the God of the Hebrews. In Jeremiah twenty-two sixteen 16, it says, "...he defended the cause of the poor and the needy, so all went well." Is that not what it means to know me? Declares the Lord. To know me means defending the cause of the poor and the needy. Today we would say the poor, the needy, the vulnerable, those who've been marginalized, those that are exploited or subjugated. Jeremiah states that someone's picture of the divine it will inevitably work its way out in whether they defend the oppressed and the vulnerable or whether they drive the oppression or the marginalization and or the, the, the exploitation, according to Jeremiah, to know the Hebrew God, to know that God accurately, is to defend the vulnerable. Gustavo Gutierrez, he confirms this interpretation again in his book, A Theology of Liberation, page 134. For the prophets, this demand was inseparable from the denunciation of social injustice and the vigorous assertion that God is known Only by doing justice. On page 156, Gutierrez also writes: "To know God is to work for justice. There is no other path to reach God." The Hebrew text, the the sacred text of the Hebrews, it's it's repeatedly it's saturated with concerns for a societal distributive justice. I'm going to give you a list of texts from Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, Kings, Nehemiah, Job. Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, I'm looking here, Ezekiel, Hosea, Amos, uh, Micah, uh, Habakkuk, and, and, and then the, the, the tradition in the in the Hebrew scriptures is, is carried on in the more Jewish portions of the New Testament text also. You find it in Luke 6 and Luke 12 and Luke 16 and Luke 18. We find it in the book of James and James chapter 2. I want to give you a list of all of these texts in, in this week's eSight. You can go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and just click on the, the e-site there, the article for this week that has the same title as this podcast. And, and you'll, you'll see all these passages. But it makes perfect sense then that a Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee, who in the first century traversed the, the, the region teaching about a God who universally loved ravens, lilies, and all people too, that that, 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 that teacher would live And teach and minister and protest and be crucified in profound solidarity with those who were suffering from injustice in his own society. If we define politics as we did last week, as the distribution of of resources and power, the gospel has real political implications here, and and we cannot hide those uh, implications, and I I would argue that we can't hide from them either. The portion of the New Testament that's believed to have been written by the Johannine community or the followers of John are are the portions of, of the New Testament that are most preoccupied with with defining God as love. It's this section of of the New Testament that we get that famous phrase that that God is love. And yet they don't miss this connection either between love and, and justice. In 1 John 3, 17 through 18, how can the love of God be in anyone who has material goods and sees a sibling in need and yet refuses help? Let us not love in word or speech, but in truth and in action. And I want to, close this week with, with one more statement by by Gutierrez. And, and I believe that it would be well for us to spend this week uh, contemplating that. I mean, that passage in 1 John 3, 17 through 18, that's pretty heavy right now, especially with what's going on on the southern border uh, of the United States and people coming to us needing help. Um, and, and, and Christians, some of my Christian friends are the loudest voices uh, opposing a uh, 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 they're 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 reaching out to us or, or, or opposing efforts to to allow them to find refuge here. And and First John three seventeen. How can the love of God be in anyone who has material goods and sees a sibling in need and yet refuses to help? So Gustavo Gutierrez he writes, this does not detract from the gospel news. Rather, it enriches the political sphere. Moreover, the life and death of Jesus are no less evangelical because of their political connotations. His testimony talking about Jesus, his message acquire this political dimension precisely because of the radicalness of their salvific character. To preach the universal love of the Father is inevitably to go against all injustice, privilege, oppression or narrow nationalism. And those who believe that that they genuinely possess an understanding of God's character, they should be the loudest people in the room opposing injustice, um, especially the injustices of classism, racism, misogyny, uh, patriarchy, bigotry toward, toward an, and erasure of, I'll put a link to how the uh, uh, trans people are right now being erased, but, 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 bigotry and and erasure toward our LGBTQ siblings and and more, all injustice all privilege, oppression and narrow nationalism, to believe in in universal love it's to work for a distributive, a societal justice for those who are the objects of that, that universal love, after all, as we talked about in the very beginning and as my son so eloquently quoted a person's a person no matter how small. Luke eleven forty two. 42. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Heart group application. Last weekend, a deadly mass shooting occurred at the Tree of Life congregation in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And 11 people there uh, were killed and and nine people were injured. The Anti-Defamation League has stated that the shooting is the deadliest attack on the Jewish community in the history of, of the United States. And for Renewed Heart Ministries' response, our statement in response to this attack, um, you can go to our website and click on Tree of Life Congregation there. But but Renewed Heart Ministries, we stand in solidarity with our Jewish friends, our Jewish neighbors, and our loved loved ones, and and we condemn and we oppose anti-Semitism in all its varied forms. Our our hearts are with the families of the victims as well as the survivors, and we at Renewed Heart Ministries, uh, we choose resistance, the resistance of love rather than hate. We will continue to daily take up the work of engaging the intersection of faith and love and compassion and justice, and, and we will continue educating followers of Jesus especially in regards to to the role that Christianity has played in harming the Jewish community as well as other communities who've also been marginalized and harmed by us but we will continue to work together uh, alongside targeted communities uh, to heal our world uh, reshaping it into a compassionate just safe home uh, for everyone or as our Jewish friends would say it's the work of tikun olam uh, this week i want to invite all of our heart groups to to do something special I want you to take a moment and I want you to send the Tree of Life congregation a message of support or even a prayer and recommit to just action in, in your daily lives. Last Saturday's attack, it was connected to more than a thousand years of Christian anti-Semitism as well as uh, it was connected to white supremacy and white supremacist murder of black people and Sikh people and and, and, and breaches of sacred space like in Birmingham and in Charleston uh, at Pulse and, and and more and i two two references that i that would be good for your groups to read i'll put you a link uh, i'll put a link in this week's e-site to uh, Rabbi uh Danya Ruttenberg's her thread on Twitter um, and and i and another article in salon uh, dot .com salon magazine Charleston to tree of life white nationalism is a threat to us all my wife crystal she commented um, the truth is this country was built on the premise that some lives matter more than others. Racism has been woven into the very fabric of our existence. Uh, othering is in our very foundation. We stole this country from its native people and claimed it for our own based on the idea that we were more worthy than they, calling them savages when we murdered and stripped them of everything. We brutally enslaved races of people and claimed we somehow deserve to own and abuse them based on nothing more than the pigment of our skin and the fact that we could overpower them. Now we are shocked when a racist leader barely scratches the surface and all of this vile evil rises to the surface. It has always existed. We have to be honest with our past if we're going to do better in the future. Um, I share that with you because I just think that is one of the most profound things my wife has ever written Take a moment this weekend, and and as a heart group, I want, you to, I want you to send this congregation a message of love and solidarity through this link. I'll give you a link. It's in solidarity with the tree of life. We pray and we pledge. I'll put a link in this week's e-site for that. And this project that I'm linking you to was created by Auburn Seminary senior fellows and a friend of mine who works at Auburn Seminary along with her colleagues. They'll be collecting and delivering all of these prayers and these notes of, of support. Wherever you are this week, thanks for checking in with us. Keep living in love and compassion in action and injustice. Another world is possible. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.